We'll hear argument next to number 981167, Edward Christensen v. Harris County. Spectators are admonished, do not talk until you get out of the courtroom. The court remains in session. Mr. Liebig. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. In July 1992, the County Council attorney for, the, uh, for Harris County, Texas, wrote to the Department of Labor and asked, what, and, and asked while it is clear that the share, I'm, I'm quoting from uh, their letter to the, to the uh, county manager, to, to the uh, Department of Labor, and they asked whether while it was clear that the sheriff may authorize an employee to use comp time when he requests to use it, that the regulations in the statute did not make clear whether an employer could tell an employee to use compensatory time under the Fair Labor Standards Act when the employee did not want to use it. And, the, and the, they asked for an opinion from the Department of Labor as to whether under the regulations in the statute that would be allowed. And the Department of Labor answered that on September 14, 1992, that absent an agreement that was willingly accepted by the employees, an employer could not compel the use of comp time under the fair agreement or understanding is that it? Uh, I'm sorry, agreement. agreement? Yes, the agreement or, or understanding. The terms or understanding come in there. It says agreement or understanding, and yeah. also. So. And do we know whether this is the case? How many of these people were hired after this policy was already in effect? Well, there's. In the record, in this case, it's not clear when the parties came in effect. It came in effect sometime between 1992 and 1993. Most of the plaintiffs were working then. But certainly as to any any plaintiffs who were hired after 1992 or 93, if the department said this is going to be our program and they, they took the job, would that qualify as an agreement or understanding? It, it, it might, and I'll explain how, but it depends on whether or not that was a clearly communicated to the employees, and the employees accepted it when it was communicated. Well, if they accept it, all it has to be is clearly communicated when they accepted the job. Excuse me. In this case, the facts are that there was a county regulation saying that comp time would be used, but it did not include an agreement with regard to compelled use. Well, so so far as an employee accepting if, if you come to me looking for work and I say, you know, you work 40 hours a week and you'll be paid at $10 an hour uh, and you go to work, you've accepted my deal, have you not? I mean, yeah. you don't have to say it's not a question of 
voluntary confession or something like that. Right. But under the, under the regulations and the statute, and this is in uh, uh, Section 2070 itself, uh, it says that, and in the regulation, it says that compensatory time off in lieu of cash may be used and may be a condition of employment. There's a specific reference in the regulations that could make it a condition of employment, which I think is the question. But it says so long as the comp time agreement is pursuant, is with the individual employees and pursuant to their knowing and understand, knowing and voluntary acceptance of it. So, for example, in your, in your example, I could come, you could say, I want you to come to work with me for $10.00. You, which you, you know, had already decided, and I could accept that, and I would be knowingly, voluntarily accepted. On the other hand, you could offer me the job and say, I could say, no, I want $15, and you could say, well, then you're not hired, but you could also say, then you are hired, and then we have a bilaterally determined condition of employment. And I think if you look at the regulations, while the regulations are clear that it could be a condition of employment, they're also clear that it can only be a condition of employment so long as it is accepted by the employees knowing in advance what the rules on but, preservation are. But you're, you're, you're not suggesting there has to be some sort of written acceptance? No. But at least there has to be, which there's not in this case, a clear enunciation first how the comp time will be preserved and used and that the employer would have the authority to compel it, which isn't, didn't exist in this case. There would be comp time, but there was no, nothing in the record and there wasn't anything that said we can compel use. They adopted a, they, it says a practice in the stipulation, but it means a policy of compelling use. But that wasn't in the regulation that has stopped us. What are we supposed to do about that? Because I thought that everybody agrees if the employee knowingly and voluntarily agreed to the understanding uh, at issue, then then everybody agrees that then the the, the county would win. And and I think everybody, then the issue is here, though, on the the assumption that they didn't knowingly and voluntarily agree. And uh, is there now a question in the case about that so that we should well, send it back? Or? Well, the, the suggestion of, of, of uh, Judge Dennis in the dissent in the yeah. Fifth Circuit was exactly that. All right. So what are we, so, supposed, to, what are we supposed to do about that? What, what we asked the Court to do is send the case back for reconsideration and cons- consistent with the Department of Labor Rules. That's what we've asked for in right. the complaint. Obviously, we could have asked for to overturn the Court of Appeals and uphold the, the, the trial court, but the trial court did not make findings with regard to whether or not an agreement existed and what the agreement was. Therefore, that's not in the record. And if you want to make it a condition of employment, first of all, you have to have exactly what the agreement was. And secondly, that the employees knowingly and willingly exist, accepted it. Was there, was there any allegation by the employer that there was anything other than an agreement that there would be comp time? There wasn't any allegation that any of this was fleshed out. No. In fact, the employer, both in their answer to the amended complaint and the stipulation, it's clear, and in their brief, they don't claim that there was a specific provision on compelled use, and there wasn't. I mean, in fact, there wasn't. But And that and the, the, neither the district court nor the court of appeals nor the stipulation includes that important factor. Then why would it? De- Judge Dennis suggested that the trial court would have to make such a determination in order to allow any court to apply the applicable regulations. Well, why would the trial court have to make such a determination if the employer is not alleging anything more than we had an understanding, they knew when they took the job that it was going to be comp time instead of overtime pay? And we didn't, we're not alleging that we spelled out the details of it. We're not alleging that they specifically consented to uh, this compelled use. Compelled use. 
Well, I think the, the problem is in the record the way the district, the uh, trial court did that. Uh, they didn't, they didn't get to the second point where the, they actually said we're not alleging compelled use. That's why I would. In any event, you. Even if they didn't, do you think it is a reasonable interpretation when the employer says you're not going to get overtime, you're going to get comp time? Do you think a reasonable interpretation of that is that I can sit on my comp time, refuse to use it until I finally retire, and then cash it in? Yes, I think At time that, and a half. You think that's a reasonable interpretation well, when the employer says what you're going to get is Tom Kime? And, and my, my follow-up question is, do you think it's a reasonable interpretation of a statute yes. which says you can give an employee comp time instead of overtime, that it means the employee can sit on the, on the comp time until he retires and then cash it in for overtime pay? Yes, I do, because the statute also says, the sta- first of all, yes, I think it's reasonable, Second of all, the statute itself also says that there's a, expressly in the statute there's a 480-hour cap on comp time banks and that after employees reach that cap, they then can use the comp time. And it has it, — it deals with how to use it by making requests and so forth. And therefore, it, the statute doesn't give an employer a permanent right to use — Compensatory well, time. as I understood the statute, it was it was enacted in response to the complaint of the states that now that you're uh, uh, applying the, F- the Fair Labor Standards Act to us, we are going to go bankrupt. We cannot pay time and a half to firemen, to policemen, and so forth. So Congress said, well, okay, if, if you want, you can give them comp time instead of time and a half. But, but what you're urging here, to wit that the policemen and firemen can simply refuse to use the comp time. Right. That's because and then con- get it in cash. It, it just it just makes it just makes nothing of of the concession that Congress made to the states. Well, uh, just I would argue that the Congress didn't quite make as broad a concession as you indicated. Because no, first I- of all, the statute itself says that an employer may use comp time only pursuant to an agreement with the employees and only to, pursuant to a number of other conditions. The statute also says delegates to the Department of Labor to make regulations about what that means, and the Department of Labor has made regulations that make precisely clear what those are. In addition, while the legislative history indicates that Congress was trying to respond to Garcia and allow employers to operate more efficiently, the legislative history is also clear that the comp time provisions were meant to accommodate pre-existing arrangements between employers and employees, and that they weren't the major part of the cost saving. They gave greater flexibility to the employer but the statute and the legislative history repeatedly is also clear. They gave a right to the employees to use and control the comp time. In the legislative history. Mr. Leibig, uh, let me get the procedural history of, the, of this case straight. The, the district court granted summary judgment for your clients. It went to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit granted summary judgment for the county. And Judge Dennis said, really, neither side should get summary judgment. And your position here is that uh, Judge Dennis was correct? Our position, what we asked for on both of our briefs, is that the case should be remanded for further uh, hearing in terms of the Department of Labor regulations, which required the investigation of the extent and meaning of the agreement and how the agreement fit into the rules. And that's basically correct, Your Honor. And the, uh, could, I would, could I ask you what department regulation covers this exactly and where we might find it in the material with this case? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Basically, that the covers compelled use exactly? Yes. Yes, Your Honor. The, the regulation that deals with it is 553.23. And the where, relevant, where do I find that? Yeah, in, in, in the appendix, 
the original appendix to the petition, which contained most of the appendix, at page 46. Just, just a minute. Uh, I would look it's at the, the white, petition for — The white large, large this, appendix. This. Yes, right. And, and Page where would 46A. I? There's a couple of things, but the first is 46A. And that is uh, 553.23A1 describes how you get an agreement, and then uh, 2 says the it deals with the agreements. And then this is a discussion of the kind of things that would be in an agreement. Oh, where, where, does, where do I find language here on page 46A that tells me the employee does not have to use it? No. You don't. I, mean, I, was, I said I have to, to go to a couple of places. What it says there is that the agreements for comp time may, in, may include provisions governing preservation, use, and cashing out of comp time. Yes. And then, uh, in addition to that, it says in back on page 45, it says that agreement and understanding may provide comp time off. In addition, the agreement and understanding may be a combination. You know, it goes through the various things that would be in a comp time agreement. Well, I think everyone agrees that there can be an agreement covering it. Where do I find in the regulation uh, a directive about what happens absent an agreement? As the letter that I found from the county, in the regulations themselves, there's no express treatment of the compelled use That's question. what I thought. So yes. to what do we defer, then, in terms of Right. The, the labor. The Department problems. of Labor's interpretation of their own regulations, which is expressed, well, first of all, there's three things. First of all, it's expressed specifically in the letter, the specific letter, which in this case was actually a letter to Harris County, saying compelled use. They interpret this regulation to prevent compelled use. And that relies on their interpretation of this regulation. Plus, I think it's important. Who was who, that letter from? Who did that letter come from? It came from Harris County's specifically asking about the facts of this case. And the Labor Department. Went to the Labor Department. It was by the Administrator of the Wage and Hour Division. The Administrator. Right. And that was September, I think, 14, 1992. And where is that? Of the letters, the, the letter itself is not reprinted in the record, but it's cited in, in, in all the briefs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it, it's, so that's all we have, really? No. Well, I wanted to know. And then in support of that, the question is, where, how did the Department of Labor get from the regulation to the thing? And there's two things in support of it. First of all, uh, the, the, the legislative history itself uh, of, the, of the congressional legislature, both the House and the Senate report, refer to the right of employees to use comp time 10 times, and they refer to 14 times that it's a benefit of the employees and that the employees can cash out comp time. Well, these are all statutory provisions. Let, let, let me ask you this. There's no uh, collective bargaining agreement here? No. This, covering there's an earlier case before this case in Texas and Harris County. This, collective bargaining is illegal. There is no collective bargaining agreement that we worry about here. No, that's correct. Can the employer say, well, maybe it wasn't clear in the past, but I want to make it clear from this date forward, if you want to continue to work here, you're going to have to use your comp time. So if you want to stay a county employee, that's the rule. Can they do that? Under the statutes and regulations, they can do that. Yeah. And then the employees have the option of then either accepting it and continuing to work. Or leaving. Or, and, and by the way, under the regulations, they not only could — the regulations both provide a condition of employment with those conditions. They also provide in uh, 553.23c — one at the bottom that you could just give a notice, which I, it is 
there may be a debate. I'm not sure there's a debate, but there may be a condition between making a condition of employment and giving notice. But it also says if they give notice that we will have compelled use, and if the employee then works a day after that, it can be presumed that he accepted it. Well, has the county uh, given notice here, do you think? No, because it also says that if the employee — These employees don't know that the county — Well, the regulation also says if the employees fail to express an unwillingness to accept it, it'll be presumed. But in this case, the employees did express an unwillingness to accept it, and therefore the the opposite presumption, I think, would occur. And again, you have to read the last two sentences in the section I cited. So in this case, first of all, what you, you, you mean if the employee is. says nothing, then the uh, uh, county has to either fire them or assume that uh, the deal's off? No, I think the rule is if an adequate notice is given and the employee says nothing and work, the presumption is that he accepted it. But if, but if he expresses an unwillingness to accept it, then the presumption is that he did not accept it. But and then, then if the employer lets him continue to work, he doesn't can't compel him to use comp time. But he would have the option to terminate. I mean, if they think it's that serious a thing to do, I, that, that would happen. And I now, presume in this they specific would, case, all those cases, facts haven't been developed, but that, I think that's the way it would go. I presume they would also have the option to say, we're not going to fire you, uh, but if you won't use the comp time, we're simply going to reduce your, your weekly hours to 35 a week. Well, I think they could, one, say we're not going to let you work any more overtime. Whether they could reduce their hours for 50 to, to lower below the why, why not? Why not? Well, they're saying, look, we're, we're doing it because we've got this great overhanging liability out there, and the only way we're going to be able to fund it is to save money in some other way. Well, first and of all, the wage and hour law doesn't tell us how many hours we have to let you work. The regulations say that the employee's decision to accept comp time has to be made free of coercion or pressure, and, and that's clear in the regulations but, and the legislation. But, but firing is not coercion. <laughs> No, you, you, you say you can fire them, but I can't reduce your well, hours to 35? I'm, the regulations say you can make it a condition of employment. So if you make it a condition of employment, the person is free whether to accept the job or not. But if they do accept the job, and then it is the system covered by the regulations, and part of this is to make sense out of all the regulations of legislative history. But the legislative history, which is if, trying if to possible, if, if it says that, I don't call that making sense yeah. out of it. You, yeah. you, you, you can fire them, but you can't reduce his hours to 35. No, no. I think you can reduce his hours unless the, you express to him the intent of your reducing his hours is in order to, to pressure him into accepting comp. No, I, I'm, not other pre- than no that, I'm not, pre- I'm not yeah. pressuring. He can, he can keep his saved up um, uh, time in the bank. I'm not tell- telling him he's got to draw that down. Yes, and, and he'll get, if he keeps it till the end, he'll get paid time and a half. I'm simply saying I've got to provide for my liability, and therefore I've got to, I've, I've got to employ people less hours in order to Put, uh, put the money aside for a rainy day. Uh, is, is that coercion? No, I don't think it is in okay. that context. If an employee could demonstrate actual coercion, they may have an argument on the case. But, but, but the example that, that I just gave you would not, as a matter of law, be coercion. I don't think you so. You can see. Yeah. Also, I think that along the same line, because I want to make clear, the odd thing about this case is the burden between the employer imposing this without an agreement with the employees and what he would have to do to get an agreement is not a long road. But the facts in, facts in this case are... They impose compel use without either the notice, the condition of employment, or doing it. In fact, the road isn't any longer than my hypothetical, is it? No. We know it's going to happen. Right. In addition to that, though, one thing in your hypothetical that you assumed, that the county would save money by paying people in comp time rather than cash, and I don't think Congress assumed that. There's a slight additional flexibility. In I fact, was, I comp- was assuming some, some fat there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I but comp be. time, in fact, could cost more. 
than cash. So they may want to avoid it because of paying it out later. But Enlighten me about what you mean by saying paying in comp time instead of cash. If they take comp time, don't they get paid in cash for the time they don't work? Yes, Your Honor, that's what I was trying to explain. But they do, but hypothetically, there's a, there's a slight way they can — it can cost the employer more because if the employee is making $10 an hour in 1992, works for comp time and then banks it, as Justice Scalia suggested, and then cashes it in five years later, probably he'll be making $12. So that could cost, over the long haul, that could cost the employer a little bit more money. Now, the, the, but yeah, the statute but has a also- defense against that because the employer is free at any time to cash out the comp time. So they could avoid that, not only by cashing out the comp time, but I suggested in my brief three or four other ways that an employer can protect themselves from that happening. But in theory, that's the additional cost of comp time if it's stored and so forth. Yeah, but if, if he's, the employee uses his comp time a year later and the wage rate's gone up, the time he uses the comp time, he will stay home and get paid at the rate, then current rate, will he not? Yes, Your Honor. Yeah, okay. If he waits till he retires, there's another rule. He either gets the regular rate or the higher of three years. Of course, in the meantime, the employers had the use of the money, too. Yeah, and inflation's gone. I mean, but I'm just saying, other than that, and Congress is clear about this, both in the regulation and the legislative history, Congress's view was that you're not supposed to use comp time. They, they meant comp time to be an equivalent of being paid in cash because eventually you have to pay the money. And in fact, in the real world, it works out. There are these areas I've described. And as we described in our brief, there are methods by which the employer can save it. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. Leibig. Uh, Mr. Roberts, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. An employer may not require an employee to use his comp time against his wishes unless the employee has agreed to that arrangement in advance. That conclusion follows from two features of the Act. First, the Act gives the employee the absolute right to uh, overtime pay in cash. An employer cannot substitute comp time for overtime pay in cash unless he first secures the employee's agreement. Second, the Act makes clear that comp time is a substitute for cash pay. An employee has the absolute right to use that cash pay as he pleases. The employer can tell the employee when or how it may be spent. Just as the control over cash is a central aspect of its value, control over the use of comp time is central to its value. And therefore, the Secretary has reasonably construed the Act to permit the employee to use the comp time that he has earned as he wishes except to the extent he's now, otherwise where, agreed. Where do we find some departmental regulation that spells out what happens absolutely? Well, the Secretary has uh, construed its regula- uh, her regulations to uh, provide that in, in reliance on three provisions in the regulations. Uh, first, uh, Section 553.23A1, uh, which is on page 45A of the Joint Appendix. Uh, which uh, provides, just as I explained that the statute did, that comp time is a substitute for overtime payment in cash and that um, there must be an agreement uh, with well, the employee. That get you there. That just says there has to be an agreement before you can use comp time. Uh, it doesn't say what the consequence of using comp time is. I mean, it just says there has to be an agreement before you can use comp time. Uh, yes, Your Honor, and the, the Secretary is uh, also relying on the provision in uh, in A2 that says that the agreement may include provisions governing the use of comp time. Um, that's on page 46A, um, the first sentence, and also um, relying on um, uh, C1, which is on page 47. Well, let's let's do let's do A2 first. Uh, an agreement may contain uh, other 
other things. It doesn't say it must contain other things. Uh, that's the correct. regulation could have said that. Any other things, you know, any other conditions on comp time must be included in an agreement. It doesn't say that. The, the regulation doesn't require that it, that it address that, um, but the Secretary has construed uh, the regulation as a whole uh, to mean that if it doesn't address that, then the employee retains the right Well, why on uh, earth does the Secretary time. say that in a regulation rather than having co- to construe something that's ambiguous? Well, the, the secretary uh, didn't uh, didn't address it in the in the uh, regulation, but did address it in the in the opinion letter, um, which provides clarification of the regulation. Still, the secretary's interpretations. I, I just want to, I may be misremembering this, but I can't resist asking you that even if it's not a formal interpretation of the regulation, which I could see how it would be, what it means to say you can put extra conditions there in terms of the a background rule where nobody says anything. I could understand that. But even if not, isn't there a famous administrative law case, Skidmore, which talks about this court paying deference to and wage an hour administrator on the ground that even if he lacks, the, he lacks, he, he possesses the power to persuade even though he lacks the power to control? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, we contend that uh, the interpretation of the regulation is entitled to stronger deference uh, than Skidmore. Skidmore was decided. I never knew there was a difference in the deference. I never was able to measure it. <laughs> well, uh, uh, the, uh, the courts of appeals, uh, and I think uh, this court uh, as well, um, recognize the difference between Chevron-type deference or the kind of deference in our um, and what might be called Skidmore-type deference, which is uh, that uh, the uh, reason judgment is titled to respect for its power to persuade and uh, you know all we're talking about is what is the background rule if in fact nobody puts a condition in the agreement now they're, they're free to put it in or not but what's the background rule which is a pretty uh, sort of interstitial minor point isn't it yes your honor uh, it, it imposes a very little burden on the employer the employer is well situated uh, to obtain the employee's agreement to that condition. Uh, I ask Mr. Robinson, it, what's the opposite rule? If the employer can't decide when it's used, does the employee have the right to say, well, I've decided to take it whenever I choose? The employee has the right to uh, use comp time with, um, in a reasonable period when the employee requests it, unless it would unduly disrupt the employer's operation. No, excuse me. I thought but he doesn't have to use it within a reasonable time. I thought the position here is that he can sit on it and choose not to use it as he wishes no. the, and cash it in at the end of his career. The employee can uh, accrue the comp time so that the employee can uh, use it um, on request as provided by 20705. The employee also could accrue it up to the maximum provided by the statute. He has no obligation to be reasonable in his, in his use of it at all. Isn't that right? I thought that's what we're arguing about here. He has an obligation to uh, not — he's unable to use it on request if it would unduly disrupt the employee's operation. Doesn't that cut against — I'm just trying to think it through. Doesn't that, in a way, cut against you in the sense that there is a restraint on the ability of the employee to use it whenever he wants? He can't just say, on Friday, I'm going to take off next Monday and Tuesday. He must consider the employer's wishes. But there's no restraint on the employers imposing, the, under the regulation, uh, his desires on how it should be used. No well, express restraint. Because um, there's uh, — Congress did not ex- expressly address um, the situation when the empl- — if the employer could require the employee to use comp time. Um, I I'd submit that that's because Congress uh, didn't conceive that the employer would uh, — 
assert that authority because Congress, Congress understood that um, the comp time belongs to the employee and that the employee would ask when to use it and not be told when to use it. And that follows, um, as I said, from the features of the Act um, that I described earlier. So Congress what, didn't have what, a need. But the, but the what, Congress what did, did impose a ceiling on how much comp time that could be accumulated. Uh, yes, but um, once that ceiling's reached, Congress specified that, that um, the employee would have to be paid in cash. Yeah. Um, which returns the employee to getting uh, his basic right under the Act. Yeah. But what I don't understand, Mr. Roberts, is what good it does for Congress to say, you don't have to pay these people cash. You can let them have comp time instead. I don't see what good that does if Congress also says, oh, and by the way, the employees don't have to use this comp time. They can just sit on it and bank it. And, and cash it in at the end of their careers. What is Congress? Congress huh? doesn't say you can pay these employees comp time. It says the employees have the right to overtime pay in cash, and the employers may agree with you um, when it's mutually beneficial to get comp time. And those mutually beneficial arrangements may save the employer money. But, the, but, but Congress is very clear. The statute is absolutely clear. The employee has the right to overtime pay in cash. If they decide to bank it and never spend it, and the employee would like them to, and eventually get cash for it. When do they get the cash? When they retire? Uh, they, if they bank it, they uh, they get uh, they can accumulate up to the 240 or 480 hours. And on termination of employment, uh, they have on to. On termination of cash. employment, so it's quite possible that it'd be an unusual case where they want to bank it. I mean, if you if you refuse it, you get paid the a time and a half next month. And if you decide to take the comp time and and save it, you're going to be paid when you retire. You get paid more when you retire. Uh, you uh, get paid. Uh, you might get paid more, but I don't think it would be worth more uh, 20 years down the road. You would get paid at the rate then. Um, well, at unlike, the rate for your rank then. Too. The I mean, rate for your rank you're then. You're a captain. The last then you, you'd get a captain's uh, 240 hours, right? Uh, yes, Your Honor, but, but they um, must not make decisions based on these uh, uh, prospected calculation of what it's worth years down the road, or maybe they do, do they? Uh, I, I don't know whether they do. There's no indication in this case that, that these employees wanted to do that. Another feature of their uh, complaint, um, which wasn't pursued on appeal, was that they were not being allowed to use uh, comp time when they requested to do so. So it suggests that they did request to use comp time. Mr. Uh, Mr. Roberts, does it come down to whether the default rule is you get overtime or the default is, as Judge Higginbotham said, the employer sets the work rules. Uh, yes, uh, uh, you could look at it that way. Uh, the, the reason that the default isn't that the employer sets the work rules is that Congress has displaced that principle that the employer can set the rules um, in the Act by making uh, by giving the employee the right to overtime and by uh, providing that the uh, employer can only uh, have a comp time arrangement pursuant to the employee's consent. And it, the question is how detailed the consent must be. Right. Just the, the comp time or the working out of it. Yes. Um, that's, the, that's, that's the issue. And um, it is simply a default rule. Um, the parties, um, everyone agrees the parties can uh, contract out of that, uh, out of that principle. Um, so uh, it's not imposing an onerous burden on the employer, and what it is doing is uh, is furthering the uh, the underlying scheme in the Act. Thank you, Mr. Roberts. Mr. Fleming, we'll hear from you. Uh, 
Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. Um, one reason, or the main reason, and why there aren't any regulations that address this issue, and there really aren't, is because of the, what's really taking place in this, what's been termed a forced use of compensatory time. The uh, Fair Labor Standards Act basically provides for a minimum wage rate and maximum number of hours. There's no provision in there that guarantees a 40-hour week work week. And an employer is always free to cut the work week short, to have an employee work uh, 30 hours, 20 hours, 10 hours, one hour. And in the Fair Labor Standards Act, there is a very specific provision that allows uh, employers to cash out accrued compensatory time at any time. It's in the, in, the, in the statute and more specifically in the regulations. Now, if you can do each of those two separately, there's nothing that prevents a public employer from doing so simultaneously to achieve the objectives which were set out in the amendments following the Garcia decision, that is to protect the county's resources and budgets, and really, uh, in this situation, to protect against employees that do bank their comp time uh, and hold it to the maximum. You mean uh, uh, the employee normally has a 40-hour week, say, you just come in 35 hours this week, I'll pay you for 40 Right, and and the the other five will be paying down your 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 comp time, right? Yes, Justice Clee, and in fact. So what's the big deal then? Why, why why do we have this case in front of us? Why don't why don't they just do that? That's what we do. What well, what happens is that they'll um, after the supervisor tries to to reach an agreeable time for the employee to start taking time off and getting paid in cash from their comp- compensatory time uh, that's been accumulated. If the employee doesn't do it, then he meets with them and, try, and orders them to do it, still tries to get a reasonable period of time when they can do it. And if not, then issues the order for the employee to do it. And what will happen is, for instance, if it's a week the employee is going to take off, the employee doesn't come in uh, to work that week, but still gets his paycheck, 40 hours of pay. And mind you, that pay has been accumulated at time and a half. So they're still getting the benefit of the uh, time and a half provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. That's what the practice is, and that's what happens. Well, or why, why don't you put it in agreement? I mean, you know, if that's what I don't understand is why is this case such a big deal? Since everybody agrees you should be able to do that, you'd have to get your employee's agreement to it, just as you'd have to, to get his agreement to comp time in the first place. And so you have to get that agreement anyway. What's the big deal? I think and so if there are good arguments on both sides, which there are, you could have a background rule either way. The reg I agree with you doesn't say much about it. Sure. Uh, so why not uh, just go with the agency? I mean, that, that's a, that's why, because, you know, trivial matter, interstitial, background agreement, they have the experience, et cetera, et cetera. So that's well, sort of where, where I'm, what I'm thinking about it. What, well, what is your response? That's a good question. And in, in addition to, to the default rule, which Judge Higginbotham, Fifth Circuit set, where he sort of filled in the gaps of what, of what he perceived the agreement would be, um, in addition to the fact that under the statute we don't have to have an agreement, it's our position. Really how the case evolved, though, is up until we got to this Court, the petitioner were saying that it's completely prohibited by the Act, agreement or no agreement. And, and it was our position that it's, we're allowed to do it by the Act, and it's still our position. Well, and now in this Court, everybody agrees that the, there can be an understanding. We're talking about what notice the employees have to be given. So there's no question that from now on Harris County can say, this is the deal, employees. The only question is when they didn't say that, when all they said was comp time, what should be the consequences? Well, we agree that we could do it by agreement. But as our position, we don't have to do it by agreement. 
and whether we want to go back and issue. Well, what's the it? I mean, certainly you can't substitute comp time for overtime pay except by agreement or understanding. Yes. Right? You must have an agreement to comp time. Which we have. And the question is, what are the terms and conditions of that comp time? One, we know from the statute that the employee can request it and the employer has to accommodate unless the time that is being sought would unduly disrupt operations. We have that one condition on it directly out of the statute. Yes, Your Honor. But why, if Congress is trying to say, employees, it's your option, or at least you have to be given notice, why shouldn't that notice be, here it is, and at a certain point, you're going to have to take it? Why shouldn't that be spelled out? Instead of the employee thinking, well, this is fine. If I need it, I'll use it. And if I don't need it, I'll bank it. And the statute says after X number of hours, I get paid in cash. Justice Ginsburg, I I agree that it can be in the agreement, certainly. But just as as the Fifth Circuit said that there are workplace rules which the employer governs, in this case, this is something that is outside of the Act. The the setting the number of hours below 40 is not covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act, and the employer is not required to enter negotiations with the employees on when they're going to set those hours or cut those. Is that what you did here? I am am in some perplexity. I thought that your opponent had acknowledged that it would be okay for the employer just to say next week only come in 35 hours and for the employer to take the money that it it saves, the five hours, add a little bit more to it for the time and a half, and voluntarily, as it's entitled to do, buy out five hours' worth of the comp time. Now, is it common ground that that is okay? I don't know if the, I don't think that's what the petitioners are maintaining. That's our position. We're telling them don't come in next week or, you know, in a couple of weeks. No, you're doing something a little different. You're saying don't come in next week, take your comp time instead. Yes. Right. That's, well, as we've maintained, we're doing two things. And they, they, that's a little different I, from saying you're, you're directing them to take their comp time. Yeah. Which means, you know, they won't get any, uh, uh, well, they'll get their regular pay and, and they'll have time and a half off, I guess, right? Is that how it comes? Yes. I mean, they've accrued a comp time at time and a half. Yeah. And well, that, it seems to me that's a bit different from simply saying, look at, God, you got 240 hours here. Um, I can't afford it. Uh, don't come in for five hours next week. Say nothing else about the comp time. And then the employer just buys off five hours' worth of comp time. That's a little different. And, and I'm not sure that the other side uh, says that that's, that that's bad. That's not what you've done here, though. You've, you've instructed them to take their comp time. Isn't that, isn't that the facts of the case? Yes, but by doing it, it's in two phases. I agree that it's a forced use. But as far as finding uh, a uh, statutory authority for doing it, it's a way I explain. There's nothing that can stop us from shortening the work week. And we cash out the comp time at any time without any reason. Okay, Why don't but you do it the other way and save us all this trouble? Well, but I, I think that was the answer to my hypothetical. I said, what if they, if they do nothing but say, we've got to make up some money somehow to, to pay for this overhanging liability, so we're only going to employ you 35 hours a week. Uh, and, and I understood your, your friend on the other side to say that would not be coercive and that would be okay. 
in, in practical terms, that would get you exactly where you want to go. You mean, if I understand your Be- question. Because it, 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 except in, in one case. If the employee says, all right, by Godfrey, I'll work 35 hours a week, but nothing is going to induce me to touch my accrued comp time. That nest egg is going to stay there until the day I retire. The employee could do that. In the, re- in the real world, I presume that would not happen. He can't do that, can he? Doesn't the employer have a right to buy out the comp time? The employer has a right to buy out the comp time. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. the that's issue. Right. Sure, sure. <laughs> that's the issue. You can make him work 30 hours a week, but the question is, can he refuse to be paid for 40? No. Oh. So we can, we can catch that's, it up. That's your, your, your position. That's His position is he can say, I don't want to take the 10 hours in cash. I want to keep it in the bank. I, I don't think that they're saying that they can refuse to take the payment, because the statute and the regulations are very clear about that. Cash them out at any time. And so if we can do either of those separately, we can do them simultaneously. And that's what protects the employer against excessive accumulations. The employer can always say, well, the main rule is time and a half pay. Here's your pay. Yes, that's cash that. them out. Employer can cash out at any time. But then if you, if you look at it as the comp time being an exception to the overtime pay, then it would be logical to say the, the employer can go back to what is the main rule, what is the rule in workplaces that are not public. There's no comp time option in the private sector, is there? No. So the underlying premise of the Fair Labor Standards Act is you pay time and a half. Then there's an exception that operates only in the public sector, but Congress has provided that the employer can always do what employers all over the country must do, that is, pay time and a half. Pay time and a half, uh, or we can cash them out. Well, that's what I mean by cashing out, by instead of letting them accumulate the time, giving them the money. Yes. As they as they're accumulating it, um, if we when they reach the 240 hours, if they go over they that, we don't cash That's the total stupidity here. Because if you got your 30 hour a week example, you say you have an absolute right, and they don't contest the fact to pay them for the extra 10 hours if you want to. That's right. Well, well, what then, exactly does then why aren't you doing that? I don't understand why that isn't the end. Why that? What you're fighting about? If everybody agrees, you can do that. Isn't that just making them take 10 hours of comp time each week? If, if we did it each week, we could. We don't do it each week, though. I mean, they wait till it gets up to the near the maximum of 240 hours in our case, and then they try and get it to come down a little bit. So they're not cutting back their, their time every week. Give me a specific example of what cashing out means. Cashing out is if uh, an employee has some accrued compensatory hours, whether it's one hour or 240 hours, that the employer can pay for those hours in, at the whatever rate the employee has at that time. Or, and they can also do it when the employee leaves or is terminated. And they pay it out dollar for dollar based on number of hours. Now, the hours have been accumulated at time and a half. Yeah, there, there is no such thing as comp time for regular, uh, for not overtime, is there? No, there's not. Let me go back to your answer to Justice Stevens's question. If, if I understand it correctly, what this case boils down to is this. Uh, if you reduce hours on a regular basis and you also choose to cash out a portion of the accumulated time every week, no, no problem, no argument. But if you do it on an irregular basis, if you make a judgment, if the 
fire department, sheriff's department says, uh, gee, next week we haven't got much process to serve, so I think we'll make so-and-so take Wednesday afternoon off. Not a regularly scheduled thing every week, an irregular judgment from time to time. That's what we're fighting about. I don't want to state the, posi- the petitioner's peti- uh, position, but that's what you think we're fighting about. Yes. Well, it's it's not even it's as, not even as as substantial as that. You, you you could, on an irregular basis, say we have so many so few processes to serve next week. You know, Jones, take next Wednesday off. Yes. Right. And and uh, and and then make the decision to, to pay Jones, uh, pay Jones' comp time down. If, if Jones didn't have any accrued compensatory hours, we could so you know, know it really doesn't, nothing. It doesn't make any difference, and and that leaves me in something of a quandary. Whether the fact that it doesn't make any difference means that we should fine for your opponent because you can do what you want to do anyway very easily, or the fact that it doesn't make any difference should make me wonder why <laughs> why it should be prohibited to do it the, the more honest way uh, by the Fair Labor Standards Act. Why, well, I, I, don't know, I don't know which which resolution that leaves you with. See, Justice Scalia, in looking at the Fair Labor Standards Act, there's nothing in there that prohibits us from doing this. But it's symmetry. Well, it's See, symmetry. basically the statute says we prefer money. You work overtime, we'll give you money. You work overtime, you get the money. Now, if you agree to take the comp time, that's fine. And that kind of idea that it's money or you get their agreement, says it's money and they get their agreement to get the comp time. It says it's money or you get the agreement if you want to force them to take the comp time rather than wait till the end and get the cash. All right. I mean, it's symmetry. It's symmetry. But if you go back to what Justice Scalia said at the very beginning of the, the argument, was that the, the purpose of these amendments in the first place was to help out the, the government entities that, uh, so they can manage their budgets, budgets and wouldn't have to pay this overtime in cash. And it was expected that the employees would use the compensatory time and not expect that they would bank it. And so you see why most of them don't, to tell you the truth. I mean, uh, why are they going to wait around for 20 years and, and cashing it out and instead of — I mean, we don't most of them? Well, if, if they don't do it, yeah. okay, and — we get to a position where they're, they're reaching the maximum level and the government's going to have to start paying time and a half in cash, then a fair reading of well, Do we know any facts here, by the way, do, do it, what actually happens? There's nothing uh, in the stipulation, which is basically the record, as to exactly how many of this occurred with the amount that it, it — It is not an unknown phenomenon in the Federal Service for some people to save up sick time, which they're entitled to be compensated for at the end of their service. And, and, it, and it was not an un, unheard of practice for people to save up vacation time, which is why some, some employers require you to take your vacation, because people would, would work the whole year and then, you know, save up their, all their vacation time, retire a year earlier. I, I don't think it's at all fanciful to think that people would bank this stuff. What about the other? Sorry, did you, did you want to answer that? Go ahead. Oh, I agree that, that I mean, it's, it's easy to see that people would do it. But uh, under the Act and the 85 Amendments, it was expected that people were going to use it. And that was the concern, is that the employees have the time. And the Fair Labor Standards Act makes sure that people aren't overworked without getting paid time and a half for it. It's not to make sure they get to work 40 hours. Could you explain something else to me? We've, I, I think we understand now the 30-hour, you can make them work 30 hours a week and, and pay them the extra 10, even if they don't want that. How is it that you are, in fact, compelling them to use their comp time if it's not by that example? What, what, are you, what do you do to them when they, when they get 220 hours and are getting close to 240? How do you, 
How do you what, — what is the arrangement which makes them expend their comp, comp they're, time? They're told to do it. Told that to is what? how we're doing it. Pardon me? That is how we are doing it. You make them work 30 hours a week instead of 40? And 30 is just an example, but you're going to take the time off. Short week. Just week. And then we're going to cash out under the Act some of your hours to make sure you get a full paycheck. I see. So they get the same paycheck that they would if they had worked the regular hours? They get the same paycheck, but they haven't had to, They've got the hours that are cashed out, they accumulate at time and a half anyway, so that it's for, for less amount of work. So they do get the same pay. But you, you require, I mean, you require them to give you a slip of paper saying, I choose to take my comp time or something like that? No? You just say, you are taking your comp time. They are asked to start reducing it voluntarily. Yeah, right. It's under the stipulation. Uh, if they, they, and within a reasonable time, if they don't do it. If they, they don't choose, do it. Then what? Then the supervisor can order them to do it. And try and, and still work with them, try and reach a mutually agreeable times. Well, and, but the effect is in order to do it. Well, to the extent you're, you're talking now, beyond the stipulation, the record simply isn't developed, I suppose. Do you feel you can speak for every uh, division of the, of the county government on this, that this is exactly how they do it? Uh, no, just, just as to the Sheriff's Department, which is the defendant in the case. The Sheriff's Department is the only defendant in the case? The county is a defendant as a result of the, the Sheriff's but Department. But all that's being challenged are the practices in the Sheriff's Department? Yes. If it's proper for you to do what we have been assuming in these hypotheticals you could do, why does the statute place a cap on the amount of uh, comp time that can be accumulated? There's absolutely no need to do that. You and other employees can, employers can protect yourselves. The cap implies to me that you don't have uh, the autonomy that we have been assuming here. The cap, I believe, is for those employers that just don't, can't or won't let the employees take the time off. And I think the, the concerns when these, these enactments of 85 went into effect was that the employees are able to use the time or able to take the time off. On the other side, so they're protective devices so that we do not build — the employee does not build up so much comp time that the employer, in effect, is not, at the end of the road, going to be able to pay it. It's, it's, it's for the protection of the employee, you're saying. It's a balancing. And the employee's protection is this, is that in the statute, as was mentioned, the employee is allowed to use it within a reasonable time if there isn't an undue disruption. And so the, the focus there is on the employee's ability to use the time. On the other side, the employer's controls over this, since it is a balance, is the employer's ability to cash them out. Okay. And I might add that on that, the ability of the employers to cash them out, it's an important distinction because it is that provision gives the employers control. And the petitioners have maintained, well, this, this comp time accumulation is, is under the sole control of the employees. And there certainly would be circumstances where the employers would choose to cash out the comp time, uh, and it would be contrary to what the employees wish to do, such as if they wanted to stop them from using it at a certain time of year, or if there had been an uh, increased countywide budget increase in pay, the employer, the department could cash them out before that goes into effect. Now, that hadn't been done in this case, but in, that certainly reflects that the Act provides the employer with a certain degree of control over these comp time hours, and it's not within the sole well, why isn't that, that just underscore that the default rule should be you pay them, not you set the work rules any way you like? I mean, the statute says there's an exception, but the main rule is 
time and a half. If the main rule is time and a half, then it's perfectly logical for the statute to say you can employer you can always pay time and a half. You can do the other if the employees agree to it. But you can always go down to the bedrock rule under the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is time and a half. Uh, yes, they could once they go over the 240. That, that, yes, Justice Ginsburg, that's correct. But they you could, could cash out the credits at any time, right? Yes, that's correct. The, and so that just suggests to me that the main — this is a statute where the main rule is time and a half, but you have an exception. Usually we construe exceptions narrowly, not broadly. And if Congress's idea is let the workers know what you're doing, then it's just a question of, of notice, and you didn't give them notice of anything other than you were going to install comp time. You didn't give them any notice that, quite contrary to what the statute indicates, that is, they may request it, and the employer has to give it to them if it won't unduly disrupt. It just doesn't seem, the statute doesn't seem to have space for a rule that says, and without prior notice, you can require them to take it. It, it doesn't, and I don't think it's necessary, because I don't think that scheduling less than 40 hours a week is, is within the, the purview of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Cashing them out at any time is, specifically. And so when we have the comp time agreement, which we have with the employees, is to use the comp time, and, and then it's in accordance with the Fair Labor Standards Act, which it says. And so if we do that and go within the Fair Labor Standards Act, we can cash them out. No. Um, Mr. Fleming, uh, your opponent says he agrees with Judge uh, Dennis's view that neither side was entitled to summary judgment and it should go back to the district court for development of a factual record. Do you disagree with that? No, I, I, yes, I disagree with that, Mr. Fleming. You, you think that your side was entitled to summary, that the county was entitled to summary judgment, as the Fifth Circuit said? Absolutely. On the, on the deference issue, which was raised briefly by um, the opposing counsel, I would just say this. The, the main case on that, of course, is Chevron, and the standard is if Congress has not directly spoken on the precise question, excuse me, if the intent of Congress is clear, it's the end of the matter. And I think the intent is clear if you look at what we're doing. Shortening the work week is not within the Fair Labor Standards Act. Cashing them out is. Clearly we can do it. And as far as whether you use Chevron or you use Skidmore, Skidmore certainly is a lesser standard, but you can see in the regulations promulgated by the Secretary, it cites Skidmore as to, that the regulations. Wouldn't it be complicated? I understand you don't have the. But supposing your employees all had a contract that will work 40 hours a week, then what would you do? Uh, then I think that um, they would be bound by contract law for that. So they could, then you could not uh, compel them to take the contract. But their right would not arise from the Fair Labor Standards Act. It would be under contract. Be based on the contract. Okay. Yes, Your Honor. Well. <laughs> you don't have to use all your time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to invite some more questions, but I, I'll, I will, if there aren't any more questions, Mr. Chief Justice, I'll just stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fleming. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.